Would you please to uh, the eighth chapter of John? That's right, eighth chapter of John. Well, if you made this commitment or saying or statement about a week ago or maybe 10 days ago, I want to be a better person in some way. I personally think we, if we do that, are asking the wrong question. And I want to take us into that today as we continue through the book of John. If you haven't been here and followed with us, let me clue you in a little bit, fill you in uh, where we're going, where we've been, where we're heading. We are examining the book of John And understanding and keeping in mind that in John 20, the writer of the book tells you why the book was written. So that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's not necessarily for you to learn a historical account or a a a chronological account of Jesus' life or me either. It's so that we could see the things that he did, the miracles that he performed, but even more than that, the person who he is to show that Jesus is the Christ. And we've come uh, to a couple of the I am statements. I say I am, if you don't know much about the Bible, that's okay. But... God told Moses in the Old Testament, tell people that I am, when Moses asked, who should I tell the people that you are? And it was an astounding statement because it meant there was no beginning, no end. God always was and always will be. He's eternal. God the Father saying that to Moses. And Jesus comes upon the scene and further, if you want to say it this way, fills in the blanks to what that means. I am the bread of life, nourishment, life, resource. Without it, you can't live. And you get it every day, bread. That's why the man in the wilderness came once, or, you know, every night. And he told you just to pick enough for one day. Don't pick enough for two days because it'll die and it'll rot. It's because the Lord wants us to keep coming to him. He loves us like that. Don't just fill up on Sunday and wait to fill up next Sunday. Keep coming to the Lord and coming to the Lord. What a resource. Just... Just resource for life and living. And and then he said, I am the light of the world. And we went through that a couple weeks ago. And light, it's so uh, warm and life-giving. And it makes us 
safe and secure. And he's the light of the world. So we come now to the 13th verse of the, cha- uh, of the uh, chapter 8 of the book of John. And I want to reiterate, I think we ask the wrong question or we make the wrong statement, I think, when we say, I want to be a better person. And I want to show that to you today. Let's read. The Pharisees therefore said to him, Pharisees, religious ruling people, upper echelon of society, important in the world's eyes. The Pharisees said to him, you bear witness of yourself. This is after he said he is the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And they say, wait a minute, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. So you need to understand, and so do I, some of the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, under the law that God set up, the testimony of two persons was required to prove a matter. Why? So that the, so that the testimony that the, was being given was sure and right and true. Because often what they were testifying about was of serious nature. And if you lied on the stand, or if you lied in a testimony, or if you lied in that way, you were in deep trouble, even up into the penalty of death. And so you were to tell the truth, and there was to be two witnesses to safeguard so that no one was convicted without real proof and real truth. And so they're talking about this with Jesus. In fact, Jesus recognized this back in chapter 5. He said uh, uh, he recognized that uh, you, uh, under the law, it's necessary to give uh, testimony or have testimony from two people about a matter. And that's what they're talking about. And Jesus answered and said to them, hey, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. How could he say that? For I think about it. The law says two witnesses. He says, even if I bear witness of myself, just me, myself, and I, it's enough. Why? Does that ever puzzle you? I mean, the law says two witnesses, but look, look, look. If we turned off all the lights in this room at night and there's no stars out and no light, it just didn't stream through, it's complete pitch black in here. And somebody back there, let's say Brian, had his phone, okay, and we're all here, we can't see anything. And he turns on the flashlight, boom. We all can see it and we all recognize it and we all know it's light. And he doesn't even have to tell us. It's true. The light testifies of itself. And Jesus was like that. And that's kind of what he's saying here. Even if my bear witness of myself, my witness is true because I'm the light. Remember, that's what he's talking about. For I know where I came from, from the Father, and where I'm going to the Father. But you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, according to externals. That's how man judges, doesn't he? 
We look at people and we think, oh, they would be great here, great there. We look, not there, that wouldn't be good. And the Lord is looking for something else. Humility in our lives, a teachable spirit, uh, obedience, people who will say, just send me, Lord, whatever you want, that's me. Just, that's what the Lord's looking for, whether we're here or here in the eyes world, or the world of, the eyes of the world, or here or here or wherever in between. He's just looking for a heart that would say yes to him. Send me. That's how he, he evaluates. And yet, Jesus says, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone. You catching it? But I am with the Father who sent me. Now, you see, as he's talking to these religious leaders who believe in one God, there he's rattling their cage. Wait a minute, I came, I came from the one who sent me. I'm not alone. I'm with the Father who sent me. See it? It's earth-shattering to these religious people who believe that. It's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. See, he recognizes this testimony. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father, you could look in Luke 3.22, he bears witness of me. Uh, His word, we learned already in the book of John, bears witness of Jesus. We're up to two, three, himself, the light. I'm one who bears witness of myself. The Father who sent me bears witness of me. Remember when, um, uh, remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. Do you remember this? And he's baptized and you hear this voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's authorized, he's recognized, he's, he's bore witness or bared witness to the Jesus, the Son of God. You get it? It's all throughout this book, the book of John. He's bearing witness on so many levels here. Parenthetically, which doesn't have anything to do with our sermon here today or our teaching, what better words are there for a father a mother, a grandmother, a grandfather, a a friend to a young person or to a husband or to a wife. Look at this, look. I'm well pleased with you. I understand you can mess up. You can have issues. You can uh, 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 go down this path or go down that path, but I am pleased with you. Because I love you. Because we are together. I'm a friend with you. I mean, you understand the security in that statement for us here? To tell our kids, not that we just love them, but that we like them. And that we're pleased with them. Or whoever it is. Your friend, your enemy. Coworkers. You understand the security and the level of intimacy that comes from just liking to be with somebody. You see it all the time. You're guilty of it in this room. I'm guilty of it in this room. Our kids are trying to talk to us and we're on our phones, watching a game, listening to music, watching a show. Uh, not, Not now. Does that hit home? It hits home with me. I'm well pleased 
the Lord says to his son when he's baptized. And then what did the Lord do? He was out and about. That's the beginning of his public ministry. He could go and minister in the name of his father, secure in the love that the father has for him. Oh, what a beautiful place. And then they said to him, where is your father? See, because in 18 he'd said, I'm one who bears witness of myself and the father who sent me bears witness of me. And then listen to this. Listen, it's a jab. It's a, a slur. They're trying to get him. Oh, yeah. You don't even have a father. You're illegitimate. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying here. You see, when I hear this in my own nature, I'm, I'm sitting here even preaching it to you, my flesh is over here and rising up, and I'm, it makes me angry. The Bible tells me to walk in the Spirit, and that's what Jesus does, and I want to show you that in a minute. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury, that's of the temple, as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Isn't that comforting? That when the Lord has plans for your life, nothing can detour his plans. Even when it seems like that the plan is the plan and you're going to go forward in that until the Lord says differently. So, Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you'll seek me and will die in your sin and where I go you cannot come. So the Jews said, well, wait a minute, will he kill himself because he says where I go you cannot come? Jesus in one sense, is of this earth. He came and he was a fully man, yet he was fully God. And, and he came as a baby, and we say it here, he came to die. A, a baby to die. But he was just passing through. Like you and me, his citizenship here now is in heaven, and so is yours. Philippians tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I just want you to let that wash down here for a minute. Just boom. Let it come down that your citizenship is in heaven. Like, like listen, if you're going to Europe, that's fine. And you're a tourist and you partake and you do your thing and, and you look and you watch. But you know that you're going back. And the funny customs and traditions, you'll maybe partake of them a little bit, but you're going back to where you're comfortable and at rest and can thrive and you love and it feels good and that's heaven and more and better. You're here, but you're seated in heaven, in the heavenly places, the Bible says, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ. I, I, as that washes down, listen, it does everything for us. It does everything for us. What does it do to your possessions? I mean, we can say it in this room, but wait till we get out and you look uh, Tuesday uh, on your 401k account and you see the market going like this. And it's here and you're freaking. But the Lord says, listen, you're just a citizen passing through. And it's okay to have possessions, sure. But it's not okay that possessions possess you. 
if you know what I'm saying. And on and on and on, it makes the world of difference recognizing that the Bible tells us that we're just passing through onto our real home. Onto our real home. I say it, I sing it, I think it every time I preach on this when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. Ready for this line? We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. <laughs> That's eternity. There, you just live outside time and space doing what we did today. Holy, holy, holy. Singing unto the Lord, praising unto the Lord, exploring all that he has for us, taking our crowns, this is for another sermon, taking our crowns and laying them at his feet. <laughs> we don't get crowns here on earth so we can pound our chest like certain football players and, and point to ourselves and say, look how fantastic I was in you, Lord, here on earth. No, we get crowns. So we can lay him at his feet. It's all because of him anyway. And so we're just passing through. The Jews said, will he kill himself? See, because back then, uh, in this tradition, it was awful for suicide, uh, those who took their lives in suicide, right? And uh, uh, there was a, a thought that uh, uh, they were going to the deepest, darkest places of hell. We could talk about that in another sermon, come ask me after, but that's what they thought. Where I go, you can't come. And he said to them, you're from beneath, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. Now think, these people are religious. They've gone to church every Sunday of their lives. They uh, uh, memorized the Old Testament, the five books of the law. They've memorized it. They're religious. And he's saying to them, you're of this world. I'm not of this world. I mean, you, you catch it? He's telling them truth. And therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. I, I mean, I mean can, can you escape? You can't escape the... The impact this must have had. It would be like me marching into the Supreme Court or to the president and saying, you know, I'm just the guy that lives in southwestern PA, but you got it all wrong. I'm a nobody, but you just, you just, you, do, you don't know what you're doing. And, and, and they would throw me out of these places, right? Uh, uh, go into Congress and saying, well, they kind of already know it, but anyway... And then they said to him, who are you? That, that gets my flesh going again, my competitor. Who are you? <laughs> okay, who am I? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Look what he's saying. He just over and over again that he would be one that would judge. See, the Jews, the religious people, associated judgment with God the Father. He says, I'm going to be uh, one who judge, not by externals, but by what the things that matter. Oh, by the way, I am intimate with the Father, and I've been sent from heaven by the Father. Can you imagine? They want to just say, what are you talking about? And that he had heard from God. 
And then, keep going, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Look, look at this. And they're thinking, look, you imagine what they're thinking? Lift you up. Lift you up. We're going to kill you. Lift you up. What are you talking about? We're going to kill you. That's what we're formulating here and here. And it's going to happen and we're going to kill you. And they didn't even recognize that that's what he meant. Somehow the Bible, the New Testament speaks of this awful yet magnificent combination of an innocent person Dying in the place of us. Such a horrific death, it's hard to describe and not get choked up. Ripping of the back with whip. Through the wrists and the feet and that awful sensation of, ha- of uh, can't getting a, you can't get the breath. And so you push yourself up on this cross to be able to breathe and, just, and to be ripping that back ripped and up and down on that jagged cross and all those things going, and the crown of thorns and the slapping and the punching and the spitting. And somehow in that awfulness, that's not even a word, I just made it up. But in that horror, The Bible says that there's glory and joy and a purpose and salvation. (laughs) And they didn't even know it. I mean, think, we're going to get you, lift you up, we're going to get you. And Jesus says, I know. That's it. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I'll always do those things that please him. There's another thing he says that just rattles them to no end. Please him. Wait a minute. You come from heaven. You judge. You're sent by God. You've heard from God. You listen to what he says. And the things that you do glorify him and please him. Man, who are you? And see, John's trying to tell us, tell you, tell me. He's the son of God. He is the one we've been waiting for. Now, I did all this because I'm trying to drive us to this verse, 31 through 36. I know this is a long introduction, but we'll read this and pray. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. A lie, by the way. How could you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, I've got to ask you something. Who here loves freedom? Oh, yeah. We love freedom, buddy. In this society, we love freedom. And Jesus tells us some, this is one of the most amazing statements of the Bible. 
and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you so much for your word and freedom in Christ. Lord, just make these things known to us. Let us see this in a new and glorious and graceful way so that when we go out of here, Lord, A, if we don't know you in a personal, saving way, we would today. If we do know you, Lord, that you'd give us grace and resource for the journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Freedom, we love it. We love it in America. I mean, we have flags and parades and and it's wonderful because this nation is founded on freedom and, and the ability to worship and, and to live our lives and to uh, seek economic prosperity and to uh, uh, choose where we uh, want to live and what we want to do. And it's, it's beautiful to us. Even when we say the words freedom, I mean, it evokes something in us as Americans, I think, uh, that we really enjoy We were involved in a war, cold as it was, for years and years and years uh, during the last century just over this issue. We engaged ourselves in wars and conflicts all about this word, freedom. And people look for truth that leads to freedom in lots of different ways. Many colleges, by the way, use this scripture But I would say to you that the colleges aren't using it as Jesus intended. You shall know the truth, education, and education shall set you free. Listen, we are all for education. It's fine. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about making ourselves a more informed, better person. He's talking about something on a much, much deeper level. Would you turn with me to Luke 4? I love this story. Jesus is back in his own church. Can you imagine having grown up here in this town? And he comes into the church, the synagogue. The elder of the church or the leader of the church has said, I want you, Jesus, to do the reading today. And he happens to open his Bible or his scriptures or his reading, however you want to say it. And just by coincidence, I'm laughing about that. That's, I'm winking, I'm winking. It wasn't by coincidence. Is Isaiah 61, a prophecy of eight or 900 years prior. Jesus in his own church says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, freedom. And he sat down and he said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. In other words, you know that scripture that you all know here that was prophesied 800, 900 years ago about the coming Messiah and his ministry? It's me. And they'd look at him like, wait a minute, we watched your mom change your diaper. We listened to you cry in the pulpit or the pews. How could, it's me, he said. And do you understand that one of the things he said is that I want to come? Or the Messiah is to come, the anointed one is to come and to make you free. And me free, what are we talking about? He gives us the answer. 
And a slave, or Jesus said most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now don't raise your hand, but I want to ask you something. Have you ever sinned? Okay, every one of us would put our hand up. We've missed the mark. We've fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, we've uh, uh, trespassed, we've stepped over a line, God's line. We've lapsed in judgment. We've not done something that he wanted us to do, or we've done something that he didn't want us to do. Did you catch that? All of us had. If we went through the uh, Ten Commandments, we would listen to them in a new way and think about them in a new way. We'd say, "Uh uh-oh, indictment. Right in the heart. You've got me. We talk about it here. If you come here often, you listen to this. What are the consequences of sin? Listen, the first one, the great one. Well, they're all terrible, but we're alienated from God. That's what the Bible says, that sin alienates us, separates us, produces a great gulf between us and God. And the second thing it does is it gives to you and I a sin nature. A nature that's about self. Whoever has felt that? Don't put your hand up. I know the answer. Sin nature. You you catch this? It's a sin nature. You, You have a nature that is from Adam. Adam fell. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's... And and the Bible tells us that we're in bondage to it. We're enslaved to our sin nature. When I'm going to shock some of you. When when little babies are born into the bassinet or in the the hospital, they are innocent in a way. I mean, they're beautiful and they haven't gone through some things. But listen, they're born with a sin nature too. And it's awful. I mean, this week, if I say this a lot, I, I want to take... I'll just act like I'm pointing at you. And I want to take everything that you thought about in your mind. You didn't tell your wife. You didn't tell your kids. You didn't tell your friends. And I want to take it and I want to put it right up there. And I'm going to run it for the whole service. I'll take mine, for example. Ooh, who's who's going? I don't want that to happen. Right? And, And when we were... Outside of Christ, I mean, the, the, and, and here, here's, here's the thing. Oh, what's the last thing sin does? It alienates us from each other. It impacts our, our relationships. I hardly even have to say it to you. There's somebody in our family we're in conflict with. There's somebody that we call friends that we're in conflict with. We have enemies. And, and sin separates that way. Look, it's awful. Alienates from God. Gives us a, a nature That's the sin nature. Some call it the flesh in the Bible. And then it separates us this way, horizontally, here on the earth. It's awful. It's devastating. Genesis 3 is an acute story that you just color in Sunday school and laugh. Oh, ate an apple. (laughs) It's devastating. It's cataclysmic. We rebelled. And we're born into that rebellious spirit. And what do we want to do with that nature? We want to prop self up. That's what sin's all about. Now, why am I telling you that? Because we're in bondage to sin, the Bible tells us. 
You probably said it in your services when I was a kid. I'm in bondage to sin and cannot free myself. That's true. And so, in one sense, when we make those New Year's Day proclamations, I want to be a better person. See, if you're outside of Christ, I got news for you. You can't. You're in bondage to sin. We're in bondage to sin outside of Christ. And we cannot free ourselves. It's, it's like this inward corruption of human nature. It manifests itself in some ugly ways, doesn't it? You all tracking? Thinking about what? Paul told us that the work of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, the license to do anything we want. Sorcery, witchcraft, and also has to do with pharmacia, drugs, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, envy, drunkenness. We said we're slaves to these sins. But then we get this kind of verse. It's found in Peter, 1 Peter 3.18. Ready for this? Christ also died for our sins once for all, the righteous, him, for the unrighteous, us. Look at this, look at this, look at this. I don't ever want us to ever not be in awe of this. That he might bring us to God. But don't forget the rest of the verse. Putting to death in the flesh, or being put to death in the flesh, sorry, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. When we say that, listen, that's better than a Steelers win. That's better than athletics. That's better than music. That's better than literature. That's better than the love of the world. That is something to rejoice about. That he would take this nature. Listen, I mean, right? <laughs> you, I don't know if it resonates with you, but before I was a Christian, here's what I did. I smiled, and I thought, of all the ways, hmm, I wonder if he can do anything for me. Smiling, saying, hi, how you doing? Oh, you can't do anything for me? I, I won't give him the time of day. That's me. I mean, these are the thoughts that come through my head. That's the way I it was. Oh, he could do something for me? Great, let's be friends. And if we're honest with ourselves, lots of us were like that. And there was nothing I could do. And I didn't even know it until somebody shared the gospel with me. <laughs> Put to death that nature. That's what baptism is about. Immerse the old nature. Putting it up to death, but being raised to new life in Christ. Right? That's the 1 Peter 3.18. Alive by the Spirit. Our nature can change. But it's not by our own power. It's by the Spirit of God. Truly, truly, Jesus said to us, unless one is born again, he cannot sing the kingdom of heaven. But if you are born again, you can see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born anew. They sang it today. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Just memorize it. You can be a new creation. I am a new creation. You're a new creation. But if you're found in Christ, and there only. I got news for you. I'm just, I got to say it. We can't just live our lives to be good people. It's not about being good. It's about what he's done on our behalf because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, why am I telling you that? Because after that happens, we 
are confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we understand that we're helpless to do anything with our old nature. We come alive in Christ when we surrender our life, count on his finished work and his resurrection. Look what we do. You know what we do? We are called to renounce sin and walk away from it. Not that there isn't any pull. The Bible says that we'll continue to be attracted, pulled by it. We feel that conflict at work or with there's an opportunity to cheat on taxes or uh, take something when nobody's looking, like my pen story at Starbucks. If you don't know that story, tell it, see me after. <clears throat> and there's this pull. But there's one other factor. Jesus said, you'll do greater works than me, Jesus said. Not me, Tim. Me, Jesus. And I got to tell you, when I was a new Christian, I read that. And I said, oh my goodness. How can he say something like that? How? And it all has to do with freedom. It's because they knew about Jesus. We have the living Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, living in us. And so you have the power and the resource to go and to do and to love and to forgive and to encourage and to bless and on and on and on. You and I, Jesus said, would do greater things. It's all about this. It's all about recognizing that we, this is in the book of Romans, go do yourself a favor and read it today and be blessed. Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8. Read it today. Read it this week. Let it be your devotion. Let it all wash over you. It's this. That we, whether we believe it or not, it's true. When we surrender, we renounce sin, we say we'll take up our cross daily. When we follow the Lord, when we say we believe in all that you have for us, we die to the old nature and we're alive to Christ, but there's something that happens as we live here. That old nature wants to rear its ugly head. And we are to reckon it dead, consider it dead, every day of our lives. Every day, when our feet hit the floor, our alarm goes off, you know what we ought to be thinking? Praise the Lord. I've been forgiven. I can come close. But today, I want to reckon that nature dead. Just put a big nail in the coffin, a spike in the coffin. Don't let it out. But here's what he says. Not just reckon it dead. Not the negative. He says, walk in the spirit. Let yourself be empowered. John says, it. John says it in a wonderful way. Just put your sails up so that the Holy Spirit can come and empower you. That's what we're to do. Now, why am I... Listen, I've gone through all of that because I want you to know, if you don't know that, that that's what Jesus came for. And if you don't know, if you say to yourself today, I don't know if I have eternal life. I don't know if I'm good enough. I want you to come and talk to me right after or talk to somebody else. But come and talk because it is possible to know. But then also, I want you to catch this. This has major implications. I know this is like the whole introduction for what I'm about ready to tell you. I've been so excited all week to say this. Freedom. Freedom, I see it in so many other ways. Of course, the number one thing, we were born in iniquity, Psalm 51 tells us, so he's freed us from sin. In fact, he says we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. We're inclined to the things of the Lord. 
And we're walking in the Spirit, but look, there's more ramifications for freedom. I wrote these down. We're free now from the world's way of thinking. How does the world think? Hey, listen. You know what, Tim? If you perform good enough, you'll be accepted. And Jesus says this. I don't care about your performance. I love you. Right? That's what the world says. At your job, in any extracurricular, if you're good enough, you're accepted. If you're not good enough, get on the trash heap. Jesus never says that. He looks to the trash heap, doesn't he? World's way of thinking, wrong priorities. Oh, I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to get this in my bank account and this in my bank account. I'm going to trust in all these things. I'll set my life up with these possessions. Everybody will think I'm a great, cool, wonderful guy. I'll take pictures of it and I'll put it on Instagram and Facebook and make all you feel bad. And it's going to be awesome. And people think like that. That's the way the world thinks. You, you, you don't think so? Oh, MTV Crib. Right? Look at my crib. Hey, yeah. I can, what? And on and on and on. But we can't just poke fun at MTV. We do it ourselves. And we do it among ourselves. Freedom from the world's way of thinking. Look at this. Freedom from living up to an image. Do you know that we were just made for the, for, 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 for the spirit of the Lord just to live in us and us in him? That's in John also. In John 17, he and us and us and him. Just to be possessed by the Lord and to possess him. Just to commune with the Lord and to hear from him and back and forth. That's what we were made for. And we search for everything. And lots of us just want to wrap ourselves in an image so people will think we're really cool people. And then, you know, so, so it's weird because over here, if you're with this group of friends, you got to portray this kind of thing. Then if you get around these group of friends, this kind of thing, this group of friends, this kind of thing. And then you forget what kind of person you're supposed to act to. And before you know it, it's just awful. And if you don't live up to the image yourself, that ego, that, that, that coming up out of the coffin nature starts to feel bad. I don't measure up. Freedom from all of that. We listen, our image is that we are one. We are sons and daughters of the king. It says that he desires to commune with us. He loves us. He wants to be with us. We're saved. We're seated in the heavenly places. We're in his family. I could go on and on and on. That's our real identity in Christ. And so it has major implication. We are free from pleasing others. Don't raise your hand. Who here has a problem? They just want to please others. They just, oh, man, I just want to please so that all, that'll be fine over there and they won't get upset. And if they get upset, I want to please them. And then, and the Lord just says this. Look to me. Work unto me. Live unto me. Find your satisfaction in me. It frees us from that pleasing. Of course we want to live in peace with others. But you know the unhealthy running around trying to please everybody and everything we do and you just can't and you get frustrated and burn out, right? You're free from that. You can just live your life in the Lord. You're, hey, you ever thought about this? 
When we get get a new nature, we're new creations in Christ. In one sense, I want you to see this. We're free from the negative, I say that word on purpose, effects of criticism. Criticism is not a bad word, but if you say the word criticism in America, everybody's hair stands up on the back of their necks. Criticize me? What did I do? Did my kids not play well in the basketball game? You're criticizing my kid? That means I'm not good? Or what? And on and on and on. That's this society. And I really think, listen, listen, listen. Ready for this? Our response to criticism is a real barometer of where we are in the Lord. Because you're free from it. Criticism is okay. You listen to what they say, not how they say it. You're trying to please the Lord, not them, in an unhealthy way, and in a healthy way. And so you derive it from there. The way in which we respond, see, we don't have to strike back. We don't have to get revenge. Revenge is with the Lord. You see the implications, the freedom in Christ as a new creation? You could just keep going on from anybody who you perceive is uh, shortchanging you in something and they say something and you think, oh, that's directed at me. Or they slight you in some way and so you take it personal. And you See, the Lord's saying, no, 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 come. All, I'm your all in all. Derive your satisfaction here. You don't have to get upset about that stuff. What a freeing way to live. You're freed from this one. This one's major. You're freed from the inability to forgive people. The Lord says, if I can forgive you for what you've done, and by the way, when I point that way, I'm really pointing this way. Uh Uh-oh, see? That's why we didn't go out that way. If I can forgive you, the Lord's saying, I want you to be a forgiving person, always being inclined toward forgiveness, working towards forgiveness, not striking back, working towards reconciliation and uh, uh, peace between people as much as you can, the Bible says. That's what you're to be about because you and I have been forgiven much. You're freed from all that. You can, listen, the Bible says God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Your pride level, when you're in Christ, it just comes here because you're humble. You know where you are in relation to the Lord and you can forgive and be forgiven. That's major, man. You talk about freedom. I see people for 20, 30, 40, 50 years held a grudge with sister, brother, husband, wife, kid, and they never talk. And then the next thing you know, somebody dies, and it's catastrophic. Forgiveness. Freedom. Unforgiveness. Freedom. What are we called to do? We're just called to love God, the catechism tells us. And to enjoy him forever. You know this scripture, don't you? 2 Corinthians 3.17. Have you ever thought of it in this way? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, say it, freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And let me ask you a question. Where is the spirit of the Lord? Right here. Right there. Right there. There is freedom. You got this freedom now to serve. Before I was a Christian, 
I would never even, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, I would never even think of serving somebody. Never. I thought people were to serve me. That's my whole life. And the Lord just did something to you and to me, and we have just this freedom to serve. We come, people come here a whole day. They don't sit and think, I could, maybe they do, could be doing something else, but they just do it in the Lord. You, you, you have freedom, listen, to love and be kind. You know why sometimes we don't want to love? Because we don't want to feel vulnerable. And we feel like if we love too hard, we put out there, somebody will get back at us. But here's the point. The Lord already loves you enough, perfectly, better than anybody can, even your husband, even your wife, even if they're fantastic. He loves you perfectly. And so you can have the freedom to go out and to love others. People are scared of that. Do you know that? Freedom. These are just some of the things I wrote down. You could go on and on and on. The Lord has freed us up in so many ways. Let me just say it again. And I want to live like this as a body, don't you? Don't you want to live like this? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for freedom in Christ, for you coming to pay for our sins on our behalf and rising again and then giving us new life in your son. Thank you that we can come here today and love each other and share with each other and sing to you and worship you. May you bless this day and our week as we seek to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.